For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? We have been in a series called The Lion's Roar as we go through the book of Revelation. And we are going through the book of Revelation not just to figure out every eschatological answer, but to learn what it means to walk as victors, not victims, victorious in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Today we come to the fifth stanza, or the final stanza, and the fifth seal of revelation that we are going to be looking at this morning. As the parables of Jesus Christ revealed what we really, what a person really hears or are willing to hear, so the prophecy of the revelation of Jesus Christ will reveal what we really see or are willing to see. And this morning, the Lord has to show us something. He has something very important to show us that we need to cling to. Let he who has ears to hear and eyes to see hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Will you pray with me? Abba, Father, I too come before you to voice my prayer this morning. After these anthems of praise and glory and truth that have been declared in uh, to the atmosphere of this place, Father, we ask that your Spirit would come now and be as felt as he is in worship. Lord, will you also pour out his presence in the preaching of your word? Bring the kingdom. This is our prayer in Yeshua's name. Amen. So where do we begin? You know, it's always a little bit of a struggle because we've been making this, building this bridge between the Lord's prayer and these seals. I often wonder, should I begin with the fifth seal or should I begin with the final stanza of the kingdom prayer? But I think our worship service kind of answered that question this morning. So we will begin by calling to mind the final stanza of the kingdom prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, right off the bat, I have to stop and do a little spiritual housekeeping, if you will. I am well aware that this phrase is not found in many of the older transcripts or manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew. And because of this, Many people doubt its authenticity. They believe it was added later by a Jewish believer because it is so reminiscent of how the prayers of the Jewish sages are recorded later on. So here is my theological conclusion about that issue. So what? You can write that down. Very profound. What do you mean, Brent? You don't care that something was added to the Scripture? Don't you care about the authenticity of the text? Of course I do. You know full well that I often point out where some translations fall short of faithfully or accurately representing the Word of God and its intent, the intent of the text. But if you're going to let something as beaut as like this beautiful doxology added to this prayer, cause your whole faith in the authority and authenticity of the scripture of God, you have already been deceived. You're a sitting duck for real deception. People who spend their time fault-finding the text of the New Testament are easily persuaded to believe every spirit of Antichrist, every anti-Christian conspiracy theory that is handed them. 
And I say this because of the rising apostasy in the body of Christ in all of its flavors and expressions, not just our own. People will spend all of their time trying to invalidate a biblical text. And what happens is that people end up spreading more, uh, spending more time looping on how they want to try to fix an anomaly or something in the text of Scripture and all their attempts to fix the anomalies inevitably will lead to apostasy. Their apostasy proves that God's, prof- God's prophetic accuracy. Because they aren't looking for a reason to believe, they're looking for a reason to bail on Jesus. And they will do it over an anomaly or an issue as small as that, that they will turn into a big issue. Let me illustrate how easily we can be tempted to believe something is a big issue that is not. How many of you have heard recently of this law that was proposed in the Israeli Knesset to ban anybody in the state of Israel from telling somebody else about Jesus? Have you heard this? Oh, man, how disturbing. What a new development. Did you buy it? Did you get concerned about it? He got you. Let me be humble enough to say, he got me too. Let's look at the truth. What really happened? What really happened is that one person, a fellow believer who I'm not trying to dishonor in any way, got a hold of that information and decided that we needed to focus on it. Oh no, look what they're doing. There was just one little bitty piece of information that didn't get included. The United Torah Party proposes the same legislation at the beginning of every single new Knesset. Meaning whenever their parliament, the Knesset, comes together, the first thing this party does is to present this anti-evangelization law, and they have done it year after year after year after year. Did you know that? And yet one person, oh no, look what's happening. And the ripple effects are felt throughout the body of Christ. One of those ripple effects is that believers who have been pro-Israel suddenly start folding their arms. Hmm, you see it? And just like that, a big fat nothing burger becomes something that arrests the attention of the body of Christ, and we give it way too much airtime. I only share that as an illustration of how easily well-intentioned people can get off focus. They can be led away 
My point is simply that we need to take notice of, of how easily we can sometimes be duped into, into focusing on something as a big issue when the real issue is this. Thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and thine is the glory forever. That's where our focus ought to be. Because anything that comes after that, if that stanza, this last doxology added to the prayer by whomever, whenever, if that stanza is true, and I believe it is, Nothing else matters that comes after it. Because once you believe that, you have settled every other issue. That being said, the revelation clearly reveals that a world that hates God, that hates God's word, so much that they will murder those who maintain their conviction of truth in God's word, Listen, if they, don't have, if they don't have a problem apostatizing because of one text or one line of Scripture, they're not going to have any problem apostatizing when you decide to maintain your testimony. Well, let's get into it. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging the earth and avenging our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? And there was given each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants uh, and, and their brethren who were, be, who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. So let's begin with a couple important questions. When you read that and when you see that, what do you see? Do you see the emphasis of this verse as the victimhood of the saints or the victory of the saints? How you see this verse, these verses, is really quite telling as to how you are actually receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. What do you hear? Do you hear the voices of the defeated or the voices of the delivered? Keep these questions in mind as we now investigate the amazing truth of the fifth seal. And remember, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not just events, not just about bad things. The focus of the revelation is him. So, interestingly, when we read this fifth seal, there is a shift in the voice. Up until this time, the first four seals have all been announced by the thundering voices of the living beings, those four living beings that stand at the four corners of the earth and before the Lord. Now we hear the voices of the multitude, a new voice of a multitude of living beings. The voice is still the living beings because that's what those four angels are. The nefesh chayot, they are the four living beings. But now there's a new voice of living beings. And John sees the souls of those who had been slain. You may see death, John sees life. John sees the souls. 
that living essence, that living spirit that God breathed into them and made us human beings. And guess what? It is still fully alive. This isn't a picture of death. John doesn't just see that they, they died. He sees that they are alive. Remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God formed man and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a nephesh haya, a living soul. Now, there is a shift in voice from the voices of the four living beings to the countless living beings who have lost their lives for the king, who have given their lives for the king. But while there is a shift in the voice, there is no shift in the source. Notice where their voices come from. These souls are under or beneath the altar of God. The four living beings stood at the four corners of the earth, and now these living beings are shown in direct relationship to the altar of God, the symbol of the earth, that stands before the throne of God. As the voice of the four living beings came from the altar in heaven, so now the voice of the victorious also is heard from the altar. You know, I've said it before, what we're really seeing begin in Revelation 4 and carry on in chapter 5 as Yeshua takes the, uh, the book from the eternal one. We're, looking at, we're watching a prayer service. How do I know that? Because the 24 elders each have golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Everything that we're reading that the Messiah is going to do and bring about is happening because the saints, those kingdom seekers, have been crying out from the earth. And what is so encouraging about this passage is we have been heard. Let me tell you something, 80,000 people we hope today are going to fill that arena and you can guarantee Team Heaven is going to be there. It's going to be a different kind of king team on that field tonight. It's going to be Team Heaven. And you can be sure that every word of praise, every word of prayer is going to be heard because we are not cast aside. By the way, I, I, this week I heard a very apt description of the Asbury Revival. Remember when Elijah, after the prophets of Baal had been slain, he's having a little bit, of, little bit of a pity party, and he sends Gehazi to look and go and look towards the sea. And Gehazi has to go seven times until he finally sees a hand, a cloud the size of a hand. Someone has described what happened at Asbury as just the hand. The storm is coming. God poured out in Norman, Oklahoma tonight. Amen? And I pray that, that if history records anything, that history will, will record that what happened in that stadium tonight, that we are the prelude to the revelation that will occur tonight. Because if you didn't feel the Spirit's presence in this worship service today, well... I don't, I don't. We are a people who are heard in heaven. I cannot think of anything more encouraging than the revelation that our voice is heard in heaven. So, how's your prayer life? Remember, we said we were going to talk about discipleship, not just eschatology. 
We're not just being shown eschatology. We're being shown spiritual reality. And spiritual reality is that God hears us when we pray. I assure you that the prayers that are in those golden bowls of incense are the prayers of kingdom seekers seeking righteousness. But I have to be so bold this morning as to tell you whose prayers are not in those bowls. Those who seek a kingdom of selfishness. Those who want the presence of the Holy Spirit to come meet all their needs. The prayer and the plea, come Holy Spirit, is heard on their lips, but the willingness to open their heart and live their life and walk in his presence is not. Church, we can't afford to be that anymore. We can't afford to just be talkers. So how's your prayer life? You see, the souls of those these lives that we see beneath the altar of God are literally under the covering of God. I want you to think about this. Why are we told they are beneath the altar and what goes on in the altar of God? That is where the blood is poured out. These are the people who are under the blood of the Lamb of God, who incidentally we just saw in chapter 5 as standing, as a lamb standing as if slain. This, this picture of them being underneath the altar of God is a picture that God himself, the blood of Christ, is their covering. They are not to be pitied. You see, you don't arrive at the altar of God living a, double, living a life doubting the goodness of God, blaming him for the hardships instead of praising him for his amazing grace. You don't get there by reciting the final stanza of the kingdom prayer, no matter how energetic, no matter how enthusiastic it may be. You don't get there by reciting the kingdom prayer. You get there by believing the kingdom prayer and living it. It is about allowing his kingdom to come now. It is about allowing his power to manifest now. It is about recognizing that Christ in you, the hope of glory now. What's the old hymn say? A foretaste of glory divine. You see, John doesn't see the defeated, he sees the victorious. He doesn't see the dead, he sees those whose lives are covered by the altar of God. And even though they are slain, they are with the Lamb who was slain, who now stands. And they know that they will soon stand again with him, and they will reign upon the earth just as he has promised. Remember when we talked about the origin of the word reign? What does that mean? It comes from the same Hebrew word or Hebrew and Greek text, reg, which has to do with your legs. What does it mean? They will stand upon the earth. That is exactly what Job said in Job 19.25. When he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will see him. I will stand upon the earth and I will see him with my own eyes. But the reason, the reason for their death is the, reason, is the reason, excuse me, but the reason for their death is the reason for the passion of our lives. You see, these were kingdom seekers who didn't just recite verses, they lived it. Now notice why they were slain. 
First of all, we're told they're slain because of the word of God. They were willing to die because of the testimony of God. What or who is the testimony of God? Yeshua. The word that became flesh. You see, they believed in the testimony of the resurrection that even though he died, yet he would live. And when they were baptized into him in the likeness of his death, they did so believing, fully convinced that they would join him in the likeness of his resurrection. That's why baptism is such a powerful testimony. It's a powerful sign. It is a declaration of belief. They also were killed because of the word of God, because they believed what Jesus had told them. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they put me to death, they will do the same to you. You see, kingdom seekers know that there is a reason for this life, but there is also a reason, there was also a reason for his death. If God's word came to pass in Jesus' death, his word will come, his word will come true both in life and death, regardless of my end and how it comes. Notice secondly that they had been slain because of the testimony that they had upheld. First notice that they understand their lives are a testimony. Church, when are we going to get this? When is it going to dawn on us that every moment of every day that we go forth from this place, whether we're in school or at home or the grocery store or meeting with one another or in a stadium or in our prayer, it doesn't matter where we are, we are called to be living statutes. Not statues, statutes. We've talked about this. God didn't want us to carve a stone of remembrance for him. He wanted us to be living statutes manifesting the testimony of God, manifesting the kingdom and the power and the glory. But sometimes, and I include myself in this, sometimes we look more like dead stones. Come on. It happens. Kingdom seekers keep praying the kingdom prayer. Make me more. Make me what you have called me to be. Our goal is to arrive at the altar of God. Our life is to be called to be a manifestation of righteousness. Our lives are testimonies of of people who have received all of the benefits of his righteousness shown to us in Messiah Yeshua. Do you know how I know that persecution will come? Will come and it will come most intently from the apostates of the faith, those who have turned away from the Lord, and you better know that's where it's coming from. If you think if you're sitting around being worried about the world, need to be more concerned about the apostates. Those who claim to have known the Lord and walked away. And I know that's a hard word, but let me tell you why. If they are capable of renouncing their faith because of what they see as some anomaly in the text of Scripture, they are certainly capable of rejecting those who bear the testimony of Jesus within us.
And once you apostatize from the truth, you begin to hate the truth. And then you have to justify your actions by, well, you know the rest of the story. How did they get there? Fault finding. Those who abandon the church because of the failures or failings of a pastor or flock, let me just warn you, you're already on the path of apostasy. Do I need to say that again? Those who abandon the church, the fellowship, not the organization, the organism, the living family of God, because you got your feelings hurt. Because that guy you thought was so righteous, uh, turns out he had, you know, he, like you, he had a little bit of flesh battle every once in a while. There are people who are willing to reject his body, and if you reject his body, you reject his testimony of his goodness to his people. Rejecting his people is rejecting his testimony. So you may have a legitimate wound. You may. I've got them. This isn't where we all get them out and say, well, let me tell you what happened to me. Bury it beneath the cross. Get your eyes off of men or women. and Get your eyes on the Messiah. Because he's never let you down. When Satan comes and tells you that he let you down because he let this person hurt you, that is a lie and that is a step towards apostasy. And when you abandon the church, you abandon his body. When you abandon his body, you abandon his testimony. You see the path? Scary times. The coming persecution of of kingdom-seeking body of Christ is not going to be a surprise. How do we survive it? We get under the blood of Jesus. We live now where our destiny will ultimately end. Notice what they say. The Bible says that they upheld the word of their testimony. I love this Greek word upheld because it means that they they held on to it, they grasped something, but literally the word has the idea not just of holding on to anything, but holding on to something that is theirs. They cling to what was given them. They would not release what was theirs because Christ had made it theirs. But this Greek word is also used in the context of having something with which you are clothed. Let me illustrate, take your minds to Joseph. You remember Joseph when he was sold into slavery in Egypt, purchased by one of Pharaoh's uh, officials, Potiphar, taken into Potiphar's home, and the Lord blessed him, this young man wearing his coat of many colors, his glory cloak, his destiny garment, the garment that God used to prophetically signify that one day he would rule and reign. And when Potiphar's wife tried to come on to him, he would not give up that which was his. His integrity, his destiny. 
When he fled from Potiphar's wife, what did she grab hold of? His garment of glory. You see, that is exactly what the world wants to do to us. They want to rob us of the garments of glory that God has given us. But they foolishly believe they can take the garment of this body, but this body is clothed with Christ. You can take my body's life, you cannot take my eternal life. Come on. She thought she could use what Joseph wore as a testimony against him. She wanted to rob him of his identity. She wanted to rob him of his power. The place God had raised him in Potiphar's house, she wanted to rob him of his glory, for Jacob had given him that robe of colored glory as a sign he would reign. She thought that she could use what he wore as a testimony against him, and that is exactly what the world thinks about us. But they can't have it. It's mine because he made it mine. You see, our testimony is what we are clothed in. It cannot be taken away from us if we hold firm what we have, what we are clothed in, because that is our testimony. Don't believe me? Read Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Messiah have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Jesus, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise, you can't take from me what my father has promised to give me. You can rob me of this robe for a season, but you cannot take what is mine in him. If I am clothed with Christ, then I am an heir of all that God promised to do for Abraham and all that Christ has promised to do in me and for me. I am an heir of the kingdom. I am an heir of the power. I am an heir of the glory. Because what is in him is mine. Those who have been stripped of their earthly bodies are covered by the altar of God where the blood of the Lamb has covered them and protected them. They are not to be pitied. They are to be patterned. They are heroes for our life. We know there have been some in the past. We know it's happening in the present. We know there will be more in the future. We're not being shown this to pity them, but to pursue the kingdom as they pursued the kingdom because they sought the kingdom of God and they found it. Verse 10, they are not unseen They are before the Lord, covered by his altar, and his voice, and their voice is heard by him. And they cried out in a loud voice, loud because of their number. And their cry is not in desperation, but in absolute confidence that their lives will be avenged. How do I know? They say, how long, O Lord, holy and true. There's no doubt here. There's no desperation There is simply a question, Lord, when are you going to do it? They know his testimony, and his word is holy and true. Do we? Church, I I want to ask you to count the omer today.
You know, we are in these 50 days of counting the Omer from first fruits to Shavuot or Pentecost. I want you to consider what you are doing with the inheritance that is yours. Remember, the Omer is such a great way for us to do that because the Omer is the weight of manna that Israel was allowed to collect for each person. It's, it's, are we trusting him for our daily bread? Now, we, we, we love that verse because, we okay, God's going to help me pay my bills. I'm not talking about paying your bills. I'm not talking about just putting food in your body. What I'm asking you to do is to count the Omer. Do you believe with all faith that what he has said is yours is yours? And, and are we walking in it? Or do we question him over every difficulty? Blame him for the deeds of the unrighteousness? And are we being tempted to engage in fault-finding in his word? Let me tell you, you start finding fault in his word you're going to start finding fault in his people. So church, that's you. I don't know what the ancient Hebrew way of saying this is, so I'll just say it in English. Knock it off. <laughs> fault finding destroys your faith and your relationship and separates you from the body of Christ, which is his testimony. Keep it up, and you will end up rejecting not only his people, but your place. We have many reciters of the kingdom prayer, but not nearly as many prayers of the kingdom prayer. Can I just share an illustration with you from my Jewish friends? How many of you have ever heard of the 13 principles of faith in Judaism uh, as written by the Rambam. The, the Rambam is, that's not his name, it's an acronym, a title of honor given to Maimonides, and, and this happened in around the 12th century. Rambam did something that up until that time had only been done one other time by a, another person who was a contemporary of his, and he only came up with 10. But Rambam came up with these 13 principles of, of faith in Judaism. Now, many people, when they read about that today or they hear about these principles of faith, they are convinced that these have always been the accepted, adopted foundation of Jewish belief and thought, right? Because that's kind of how it's presented to us. The truth of the matter is that Rambam wrote these as an introduction to a book he was writing and that it wasn't until the 19th century or 20th century that these 13 principles of faith became more or less accepted as the foundational principles of Jewish thought and faith. Back then, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have the printing press. And so it took a while for what he had penned to be distributed. But by those who did have access to it, you might be surprised to know there are a whole lot of people who didn't like it one bit. They said, what are you doing? The Christians are the ones who talk about what they believe. You're reducing all of what God has given us just to simple believism. That's, that's how they perceived it. 
And while everybody didn't necessarily have access to the written word, pretty soon they began to compose poems and songs that could be passed around and sung. And in those poems and songs, they begin to distill this, the, the, the principles of the 13, these 13 principles. And pretty soon there were rabbis who were very upset by this. You know why? Here is what they were concerned about. That the people would recite them and sing them and begin to believe that because they recited a truth or sang a truth, that that would be the same thing as living the truth. <laughs> Sound familiar? Nothing new under the sun. We have people that believe, as long as I say, I believe this, 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 and this, I'm okay. But they don't live this, 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 and this. We can recite the Lord's Prayer, but do we believe it? The kingdom prayer is life-changing for those who pray it, not for those who just recite it. Lord's answer, like the situation John sees, can at first glance be a little less than encouraging. How long, O oh Lord, till you avenge our blood? <laughs> Probably the least sounding encouraging response ever. Oh, tell, tell there's more of you. Till, till more people get killed. Thank you, Jesus. He, 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 needs, he really needs to take a class on how to encourage people. But what he says is amazingly encouraging. This is what he says. And, to, and there was given to them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been killed, would be completed. Wow. More of you. Church, <laughs> I'm not sure you're hearing. More of you. Wow! I'm still not sure you're understanding. More people who are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ. More of you. More of you who would not love their life so much, but even unto death. More of you. Which means I am not alone. Remember what God had to say to Elijah? Hey, stop pouting. I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal in this land. You're not alone. We don't pray the prayer, my Father who art in heaven. We pray the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Why? Because we're not alone. And sometimes Satan, this is why Satan wants to, to amputate you from the body of Christ over pettiness. Because as soon as he gets you, he amputates you from the body, you begin to feel alone when you should have stayed connected to the testimony. We're not always perfect. <laughs> We're seldom perfect. But he is perfect. Always. Some people, all they hear is more horror, but I hear more hope. 
that there will be a generation that will be so passionate about kingdom seeking that even more will be added to the number of those who will not bow and they will not let go of that which is theirs. It's amazing. I think I hear the siren telling me it's time to keep preaching. There are other kingdom seekers who are willing to have their robes of this life ripped off of them, but they will not let go of the eternal clothing and the covering that is theirs in Christ. How unbelievably encouraging. I say it again, they are not to be pitied. They are to be patterned. And here's the cool thing. This is a prophecy that has already found fulfillment in the past. It's finding fulfillment right now in the present. And it will most assuredly find fulfillment in the future. There have been and there will be those who love not their lives, but sought the kingdom first in his righteousness. And they will not be left uncovered. And their voice will not go unheard. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Worship team, you can come back. Because thine is the kingdom, mine is the kingdom. Did you hear me? Because thine is the kingdom, mine is the kingdom. John began his letter identifying himself as a fellow partaker of the kingdom. Because thine is the power, mine is the power. Jesus told them in Luke 24, 49, but you stay in the city in Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. During this season of counting the Omer, as we draw near to Shavuot, as we draw near to Pentecost, are you asking for his power? Are you seeking his presence? Are you so consumed by your daily need that you've forgotten he's given you your daily bread? Because thine is the power, mine is the power. And I want everything he has for me because he has clothed me in his power. Because thine is the glory, mine is the glory. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified, meaning made righteousness. And those who he made righteous, he also glorified. Because thine is the glory, mine is the glory. Why? Because it's my inheritance. It's what I'm clothed in. And you can't have it. And some of you this week, including myself, you may feel like you're having your life literally ripped away from you. And you need to stand your ground and tell the enemy, what's mine is mine because it's thine. And I will not let go of what he has given me. I will not let go of what I am clothed in. 
You think you're going to make me naked and ashamed. He's going to cover me and give me a blood-washed white garment, washed in the blood of the Lamb. I will, you may strip me, I will not be naked. You can silence me, but I will still be heard. You will not take what is mine. Because thine is the kingdom, mine is the kingdom. Because thine is the power, mine is the power. Because thine is the glory, mine is the glory. Lord Jesus, cover us with your glory. Tonight, in that stadium of 80,000 and in this auditorium of a lot less than that, clothe us with your power. Prepare us, keep us focused on what you want to do in the city. Keep us focused on what you have, who you have called us to be. Father, forgive us for our pity parties. Forgive us for our whining. Forgive us for our apostasy, for our fault finding, both with your word and with our brethren. Lead us back, Father. Deliver us from this evil. And pour out your spirit upon us. So that someday we can hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We're going to worship again. And I want to invite you during this time to respond by opening your Maybe you stand and sing. Maybe you sit and pray. Lord, I've let someone take what's mine. Help me get it back. Help me walk in you. Forgive me of my critical spirit. Whatever it is, do your business with God. And then when we get to that chorus, stand on the truth. Thine is the glory, the power, and the kingdom forever. Let's worship. <laughs>